Today, <coughs> today, we will be studying the third part of Anapanasati, the third tetrad or set of steps, which has to do with the jitta, the mind or heart. And it is known as Jitanu Patsana Satipatthana, the contemplation of the jitta, foundation of mindfulness. Before we discuss the third tetrad specifically, I'd like to point out a very important fact about the practice, which we have omitted so far. We forgot to mention it. This point is that every time you sit down to practice anapanasati, every sitting or session of anapanasati begins with step one. Every session begins with step one, the long breathing or the experiencing of the long breathing and then moves to step two and so forth. So at this point in the practice where you're all still working on step one, obviously you begin at step one, but later as you progress into later steps, you still have to begin each sitting with step one and make sure you can do that step at that sitting and then move on to step two and so forth. All the steps are dependent upon each other. So each sitting, each session begins with the very first step, experiencing the long breathing. If you're not able to do the first step, then there's no possibility of you being able to do any of the further steps. So this is a way to help avoid self-delusion by always beginning with step one. So after successfully completing the first two tetrads, then we can begin to work on the third tetrad, the contemplation of mind. So in the first step of this tetrad, which we can call contemplation of the mind, or we can say experiencing the mind in all its aspects, in this first step of the, the third group, then we need to see the different states of mind that have taken place throughout the practice. Since the beginning of the practice up until this point, there have been a variety of states of mind. What state is the mind in when it experiences the long breathing or the short breathing or contentment or happiness in the various things that have been happening? To contemplate this, the state of mind, 
to experience these different states of mind while breathing in and breathing out is step third is step nine of the sixteen steps or the first step of this third tetrad. So in this step we need to examine the different characteristics of mind, the different kinds of mind states or states of mind that happen. There are a variety of different states of mind and ways of talking about them. The traditional way of doing that is to speak in the following way, which is, is the mind experiencing or does the, line, does the mind have lust or is it free of lust? Is there lust or not? This is one way to contemplate the mind. When we say the word lust, this has a variety of meanings as well, both sexual lust, but also the kind of lust we have for objects such as money, jewelry, gold, possessions, and then also the sort of lust we would have for a person, though not ne necessarily sexual lust, but the, the lust or kind of love that we have for various individuals. And so contemplating the mind to see whether there is lust or there is no lust is one way of experiencing this, the mind. The second important characteristic of mind that needs to be noted is that of tosa or anger, hatred, aversion. Sometimes aversion or anger will arise towards some external object, a person or thing that has come into our awareness and we feel aversion towards that thing. Or tosa can arise from within and be a, be a sort of objectless general kind of mood of aversion or ill will or anger. And so the second characteristic we're talking about now, which needs to be noted, is does the mind have tosa or is it free of aversion, ill will, anger, etc.? So being aware while breathing in and breathing out, knowing whether the mind is in a state of tosa or a state of being free of tosa. The next characteristic is that of moha, delusion. With moha, it can take various forms such as doubt, when the mind is, is wandering in a state of uncertainty about what, what's really going on here, whether this is safe or not, what should be done, etc. Moha literally means to, to be lost or to be dark, to be dim. And so this characteristic means 
that in contemplating the mind we must note whether the mind is in a state of moha, delusion, ignorance, confusion, doubt, etc., or whether the mind is in a state that is free of moha. So with each breath, each in-breath and out-breath, note either the condition of, of moha or the condition of being free of moha. There's a, a simple way of comparing these three states of mind so that we can be aware of which is which as we experience them. For the first one of raka, lust, there is the tendency, whenever there is a wanting, a desiring, a, a pulling towards you, a trying to get of something, that is raka. It's a positive feeling, trying to get, wanting to have. This is raka. For tosa, it's the opposite of that. Tosa is wanting to get rid of. It's trying to knock things away, chase things away, up to the point of even wanting to kill something, to get rid of it. This is very negative. And then for the third, moha, it is neither the wanting to get or the wanting to get rid of, the trying to get rid of, neither positive or negative, but it's a confusion and not knowing about things the way they really are. And so it's like the mind is running around in circles around the thing, not knowing what to do, not seeing whether this is right or wrong, good or bad, etc., according to reality. So these are the three, this is the basic characteristic of each of these three kinds of mind states. The desiring, positive kind of feeling, the averse, negative feeling to get rid of, and the uncertain feeling of running round and round. These are raka, tosa, and moha. Next, we can talk about agitation or restlessness of mind. So we, we look, we contemplate the mind and experience and note whether it is in a state of restlessness or not, whether there is restlessness or whether restlessness is absent. Restlessness is a condition where there is too much energy or the mental energy is out of control and the mind can't sit still. So it has its an inability of the mind to rest. It's when there is no one-pointedness or one-pinnacledness. The mind is not gathered together on that high pinnacle and the mind is unable to rest and relax. This is what it is like when the mind is restless. So we, in order to know the different possibilities of mind states, we can use this perspective of observing the mind to see whether it is restless or not restless while breathing in and breathing out. Next is 
a state of mind which I won't tell you the Pali word for because it's it's difficult to remember. So we'll just talk about it in in normal terms. This is a state of mind that we can describe as better than normal or something that is more satisfying, more attractive, more worth having than normal. So we could say extraordinary states of mind. And so another angle on experiencing the mind is to contemplate whether there are states of extraordinariness or not of breathing in and breathing out. The next pair of mind states are knowing whether the mind is in the highest possible state of mind or not. While breathing in and breathing out, noting whether the mind has achieved the most superior and exalted state of mind or not. Is that mind kind of mind been reached or not yet? The highest possible state of mind is the mind state of an enlightened being, of a perfected human being, of a saint, an arahant. And so for most of us, this state of mind is is a bit difficult to know. So what this, this point is about is being aware of the current state of mind while you're experiencing it and noting whether there is a higher state of mind than this or that there is no higher state of mind. Knowing whether one's current state of mind is has a higher state of mind or has nothing higher than it. The next one is whether or not the mind is stable and steady or we can say concentrated. So while breathing in and out, noting whether the mind is in a a firm, stable, steadfast condition or, or not. Is the mind concentrated or not yet concentrated? This is what needs to be known while breathing in and breathing out. The last pair is knowing whether the mind has been liberated or not, whether the mind has been released and saved, emancipated or not. This comes down to, is the mind in a state of attachment to something or is the mind free of attachment? Is the mind attached to something, clinging to something, or is this the mind which is void of all attachment? Knowing, knowing this, which, which of these two possibilities the mind is in, is another way of studying, contemplating, and experiencing the mind. The point
point of contemplating the mind in these different ways is to enable us to fully know the mind, know, to know what kind of states of mind tend to arise, what are our habits of thinking, what are the habitual tendencies and states of mind. This can be observed through experiencing the various mind states as they arise in the way that we have just described. These different kinds of mind states are happening and we need to be aware of them. We need to know what our tendencies and habits are. So we can do this by being aware of, by experiencing and studying the various mind states. Up to this point in the practice, the mind has been very well trained in different ways. It has developed a lot of self-control and the ability to avoid certain states of mind and the ability to give rise to other states of mind. Particularly in the second tetrad, the mind developed the ability to both be independent of the feelings but also to have control over the feeling. Now in step 10, the second step of the third tetrad, which we're discussing here, the mind using this ability to be in control can bring about a state of delight, of joyfulness, contentment, or happiness there are many different words we can use, but the mind now has the ability to bring about a desirable states of state of mind, such as being delighted or being glad, joyful. And it has the ability to to do this in a in different ways. And so we can use these different words to point out that the very well-trained and skillful mind can, can give rise to this kind of happiness or that kind of delight or this kind of contentment. Doing this and then being aware of that state while breathing in and breathing out is what step 10 is about. When we... <clears throat> When we talk about the ability of the mind to make itself joyful or delighted, we need to point out that this is something very, very useful. When the mind is sad or sorrowful, through the ability to control the mind, we can let go of that sorrow and bring the mind into a, a joyful state. Or even when the mind isn't isn't sad or sorrowful, still there is always the ability to bring the mind into a condition of gladness or delight. This can be quite useful because it often can be restful or give us, help us to find the energy to do whatever tasks we need to do. This control of them over the mind in bringing about states of joyfulness or delight is 
a useful tool. And so at this point we, we practice that and we note it while breathing in and breathing out. Now when we talk about the word joyfulness or delight, we can, this word has two levels of meaning. The first level is a worldly kind of delight. Delight that's based in sens the different senses, in sensuality and in defilement. This is one kind of delight, which isn't the kind of delight we're talking about at this stage, because we're talking about the mind which has been highly refined through correct meditation practice. At this point we're talking about the delight or joy of Dhamma, the delight or joy that comes with knowing Dhamma and with using Dhamma. So in this, in this part, Dhamma is used, a, a method based in Dhamma is used in order to delight the mind, to gladden the mind. When we talk about gladdening the mind, delighting the mind, or giving rise to a state of joy, the way this can be done is by understanding what the cause of joy is. Joy comes from being successful, from completing some activity successfully, then one is satisfied or content with that success and out of that satisfaction arises joy. And so in practicing step 10, we can note the various kinds of joy that have arisen throughout the practice. Specifically, we go back to the beginning and practice step one successfully. And there will be some gladness arising because of the successful completion of step one and being able to carry on doing it well. And then moving on to the others <coughs> that happen, the other steps that take place. Reviewing them and then when the mind can, sees that it can do them successfully, there will be a joyfulness will arise again. And so in this way we can experience joyfulness through the different, on different levels according to the different steps of the practice. And then we see clearly where the cause of joy is, that joy arises out of doing something successfully. One of the easiest ways to bring about a, an enjoyable state of mind, a pleasant, delightful state of mind, is to examine one's life and to reflect upon the fact of how fortunate one is to have come across the Dhamma, to, to appreciate the great fortune of being healthy enough and fortunate enough to come across the Dhamma, this truth, this truth 
that will enable one to be free of dukkha, that is enabling one to practice a way of life in which dukkha is being overcome. This is great fortune. One can appreciate that this human birth hasn't been wasted, but that in being born a human, one is also has, has this opportunity to, to hear the Dhamma and then to practice it. In this way, in reflecting on this great fortune, there will come about also a great joy. This is a quite simple and easy method of gladdening the mind. When we are certain that we are, that we will be able to and are able to extinguish dukkha, that we can bring an end to all suffering. All, all the spiritual problems. When we are positive and certain that we have attained the best and highest that man is capable of attaining, with this kind of certainty at knowing Dhamma, having Dhamma, practicing Dhamma, and, and benefiting from Dhamma, with this certainty there will, this, this kind of certainty is a very skillful trick or technique for gladdening and delighting the mind. After practicing step 10 sufficiently, meaning that we have, we have developed the ability to gladden the mind in these different ways, so that at will, quite instantaneously, the mind can be brought into a state of enjoyment. The mind can be delighted in, in a variety of different ways. Once this has been done, and done, done consciously with, and with the mind noting or contemplating this ability, there has to, there's both the doing of it and the contemplation of the doing. When this has been fulfilled, then we can move on to step 11, which is concentrating the mind. Concentrating the mind in this, in this step should not be very difficult because it's something that we've been working on throughout the practice. Specifically in step 4, in calming the body conditioner, and step eight, calming the mind conditioner, the jitta sankhan, or the feeling. In doing these things, the mind has become very skillful at being concentrated. And so, at this point, it should not be very difficult to concentrate the mind. When we talk about step 11 is concentrating the mind, we have to be careful about a point that many, many people misunderstand. Most people think that concentration 
especially in meditation, means being able to sit like a, a block of wood or a, a lump of rock where the body is stiff and immovable. This, this kind of concentration is possible, but it's not what we mean in step 11. It's too, too high a degree of concentration, too strong. In developing the, the deeper concentrations, which we call the chana, and so far you've really only heard about the first chana, but in the second chana, third chana, fourth chana, and these higher and higher levels of, and more and more subtle levels of samadhi or concentration, up to the point where the body is able to stop breathing. These are very high levels of concentration and they're not exactly what we're, they're not what we're specifically talking about in step 11. However, if the mind is able to develop these very high levels of concentration, it should have no problem with the lower levels of concentration. So that's what we're not talking about in step 11. What we are talking about is getting the mind in a state where it is fit and ready to work. To work, the mind needs energy, strength, stability, clarity, and characteristics like this. So in step 11, it's concentrating the mind so that it has these characteristics which are necessary for the mind to do work, or we can say for the mind to be able to do its duty. So in step 11, it is becoming very, very skillful in bringing the mind into a state where it is ready to perform its duty, where it is ready to, to work. In this case, the work is the meditation practice. In doing so, there will also arise joy within that, because when the mind is ready to work, there is energy, there is a lightness and a happiness that all come together when the mind is prepared and able to do the job that needs to be done. So step 11 is concentrating the mind, preparing the mind to do its duty. The state of concentration which is correct and proper has three characteristics which provide us with a very simple tool for judging our concentration and seeing if it is proper and balanced. The first of these characteristics of correct concentration is called samahito. This is a state where the mind is firm, steady, and stable, where it is fixed upon one thing. So this is the characteristic of samahito, stableness. The second is a condition where the mind is clean, clear, and pure. 
It is not obscured by any polluting or defiling factors. And this is called parisuto, parisuto, purity or pureness. And the third is a state of being ready to work, being prepared to work, or we can say activeness. And this is called gamaniyo. So there are these three characteristics which you ought to remember because these are the ways to, to check and see whether there is good concentration or not, correct concentration or not. These are samahito, stability or stableness, parisuto, purity or pureness, and then Kamaniyo, activeness or activity. When these three characteristics are present, then concentration is correct. And please remember, this is the kind of concentration that we use in doing things, in working. And this is a kind of concentration that can be used not only in the meditation practice, but in doing any of the activities of life which must be done which are required for this for survival so remember these three things samahito stableness parisuto pureness and gamaniyo activeness these three characteristics can be present no matter what position of the body. They can be present when there is walking. They can be present with standing. They can be present with sitting and with lying down. Not just in the, the one sitting meditation posture. We can, somewhere in the scriptures, it says that if these three Characteristics are present while, while standing, then we can call that divine standing. That is a kind of standing which is divine. It is on such a high level or exalted level that we can say that it is divine. D-I-V-I-N-E. If these three characteristics are present while walking, then we can say that it is divine walking. When sitting, if they are present, it is divine sitting. And when lying down, if these three are present, then we can call that divine lying. So obviously, concentration isn't a matter of sitting like a lump of rock or a block of wood, stiff and rigid and dead to the world. The essential thing about concentration, when these three are present, is that the mind is ready to perform its duty. And the true duty of the mind is to know, to know more and more on higher and higher levels, from moment to moment. So when we're talking about concentration, we're talking about these three characteristics 
of mind in whatever position or activity of the body so that the mind is ready to know, to learn, to develop, and to grow in wisdom. So this is called samahito, when the, when the mind is well established, firm and stable, which we generally call concentration. <clears throat> In the scriptures it says that when the mind is well established, firm, stable and concentrated, then the mind is prepared to see all things as they are. The mind, when the mind is concentrated, it will, hard to translate this properly, when the mind is well established and concentrated, it is able to see all dhammas as they truly are, or it will see all dhammas as they truly are. So, the concentrated mind is the necessary requirement for insight and the development of wisdom. So this is what we're really talking about when we're talking about concentrating the mind, about samahito. If there are any problems in life that need to be answered, if these problems are within the mind, these questions, and if the mind becomes concentrated, then the answers to these questions will arise by themselves because the concentrated mind sees things as they really are. This is the, the, the most important meaning of concentrating the mind, which in step 11 of the practice of Anapanasati, we develop great facility and skill in concentrating the mind. And we, while practicing this skill, we also are contemplating and experiencing that so that it is fully understood. It is not a semi-comatose activity, but is something that happens in full awareness and is done with complete self-control while breathing in and breathing out. As you begin to experience and become aware of these three factors of stability, purity, and activity, you'll see that the three of them are inter interdependent and inseparable. There cannot be purity of mind without stability of mind. And there cannot be activity of mind without the purity. And there cannot be the stability without that activity. The three come together, are inseparable, interrelated, and interdependent upon each other. When all three of them come together, then we can say that the mind is firmly established, well established. It's steadfast and stable, which is the word Samahito. And so step 11 is ex fully exploring the possibilities and potentials of the 
concentrated mind of the mind that is well established. When the mind is well established in this way, meaning that all three of these factors are present, then the mind is ready to solve any problems, whether they are natural problems related to this world here, to the, the normal, natural, physical, mental processes, or whether they're problems related to the supernatural world. In either case, the mind that is well established is a mind that is prepared to deal with and solve these problems. So the most important point of all this is that the mind that is well established or concentrated means that whether standing, walking, sitting or lying down, the mind is well established and ready to solve any problem. This is the most important aspect of this point of step 11. So that the mind is ready to solve any kind of problem that, that might arise or that has already arisen. This is the meaning of samahito, one whose mind, one who has concentration. When step 11 has been fulfilled and the mind has been well established in concentration, that includes those three factors, then it's time to come to step 12. Step 12 is liberating the mind, freeing and releasing the mind. This means that the mind has got, there are a variety of things which the mind has is clinging to and things which are clinging to the mind. And none of these things are useful. <laughs> no, none of this clinging of, is of any value. So in step 12, the mind develops the ability, practices on liberating itself or in being liberated. We can see that this liberation has two aspects. On one hand, it is the mind lets go or releases all these things which it is attaching to. On the other hand, we, we take these things away from the mind. We get these things to let go of the mind. And so the mind both liberates itself and is liberated from these, these things which it has been attaching to. All these objects of attachment are let go of. They are released and then the mind is liberated. So step 12 is this liberating of the mind. To understand what happens in step 12, we need to understand one very important word. And that word is attachment. So let's take a little time to understand what is meant by attachment. When we talk about attachment, we're speaking of a mental process, of something mental. 
However, to describe it, we're using words from the physical, the material realm. We're using words like clinging, clinging to, grasping at, clutching at, holding on to, or attaching to, which are all literally physical activities but we're borrowing these words from our physical material vocabulary and applying them to mental things, to this mental activity of clinging to, clutching at, grasping at. So be clear about this. The easiest way to summarize the meaning of all these words of this mental activity which we call attachment or clinging is regarding something as I or mine. Regarding as I or mine. When any object is regarded as I or mine, then there is attachment and clinging toward that object. As far as the means of practicing this step, number 12, the way to do it is to contemplate, examine, study, scrutinize the what happens when there is attachment. When the mind is attaching to something as I or mine, see the penalty, the pain, the difficulties, the problems, that result from this attachment. All attachment carries a punishment, an inevitable punishment. So to contemplate this punishment or penalty whenever there is attachment is the way of practicing step 12. To go along with contemplating and scrutinizing, studying the punishment of attachment, also study and contemplate the, the reward or joy of when there is no attachment. When there is attachment, the mind is heavy and burdened. When there, or when the mind, when there is attachment, the mind is heavy and burdened. When there is no attachment, the mind is light and free. The, when there's no attachment, the mind is, is happy and joyful. <clears throat> so to see this, this happiness and reward of when there is no attachment, along with the penalty of attachment, when these begin to be seen clearly, then the mind will naturally begin to let go of things, will naturally stop attaching. So this is the way of practicing step 12. When we talk about liberating the mind, there are many, many, many objects of attachment from which the mind must be liberated. We can break these up into four, four categories. The first are, is related to sen sexuality, such as the objects, various physical objects in the world which elicit feelings of sexuality. 
or things we see, hear, smell, taste, feel, and think, of, think about. These are further objects of sexuality or of attachment to sexuality. And then the kind of thoughts that we can get engaged in regarding sexuality. So there are one category is attachment to sexuality. Another set of objects that we tend to attach to are our thoughts, opinions, beliefs, views, theories, etc., which are incorrect. We have all kinds of opinions and views and beliefs which we attach to. So this is a second set of objects of attachment. Third set of objects are traditional beliefs and practices. We all follow a variety of traditions, customs, and things both religious and secular which are very superstitious. And this is a third kind of attachment, this attaching to all these customs, ways of dressing, ways of behaving, doing little rituals at sporting events and things like this. The fourth category of things which we attach to are all the things that we attach to as I or mine. So these are four, four groups of objects which we attach to. And then by observing these, contemplating them, both in seeing how, seeing the pain and punishment of attachment and the joy and freedom of non-attachment, then the mind will automatically liberate itself from these things by just realizing the truth of attachment and non-attachment to these four categories of things which are attached to. So this issue of attachment is very, very important. In Christianity, there is also concern with the problem of attachment. And we can see in this, the primary symbol of Christianity, in the cross, there is the eye and the cutting of the eye, which shows that Christianity also teaches the, the getting rid of, the cutting off of attachment to things is I, getting rid of selfishness. This is in the teaching not only of Buddhism and Christianity, but all the, all the true religions as well. They all are teaching that we must be free of attachment. This is because attachment to things is I and mine is the origin and source of all defilement or all sin. All the defilements of the mind and heart come from and are rooted in this problem of clinging and of attachment. So this is why we, meet, we need to be interested in it and that's why in step 12 we really study and scrutinize both attachment and non-attachment and begin to liberate the mind.
we can also talk about things <clears throat> when we talk about the things which the mind attaches to or which we attach to or things that the mind must be liberated from we can also talk about the five hindrances the five hindrances are our feelings which arise from within the mind from the depths of the mind out of our habits and tendencies of thought and these these are five in number there is the hindrance of sensual desire this is a kind of sensual desire which has no specific object it's more of a mood or attitude of sensual desire the second one is the the hindrance of ill will the third is the hindrance of sloth and torpor or dullness of mind the fourth is restlessness and agitation of mind and the fifth is doubt these are the five hindrances and these are things which the mind must be liberated from there are also the gilesa or defilements which are usually termed to be lopa greed tosa anger and ill will and moha delusion or we can say liking and disliking or all the different pairs of opposites the various dualities such as good and evil winning and losing advantage and disadvantage these are the different things from which the mind must be liberated and so in step 12 there is this study and scrutiny of attachment the things that are attached to the penalty of that attachment and then non-attachment the the benefits of living of the of living free of attachment the happiness and lightness and freedom of non-attachment this is all studied and as these are studied the mind will naturally release and let go of all these various things liberation will begin to happen naturally so this is step 12 the last step <coughs> of the third tetrad so this third tetrad overall is a study of the mind studying of the jitta first experiencing all the different states of mind in step 9 the lustful mind the non-lustful mind the angry mind the non-angry mind and etc and then delighting the mind is step 10 learning how to make the mind glad bring it into a state of joyousness the third step is concentrating concentrating the mind establishing the mind in firmness so that it is ready to do its duty and then the fourth of these of this tetrad or step 12 is releasing liberating freeing the mind in in carrying out these four steps the mind has been studied and trained in great detail so this completes our discussion of the third tetrad of mindfulness of breathing time is up and we will end today's lecture at at this point. Thank you.